that you've read through the book of Ecclesiastes at least a couple times. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing uh, book of the Bible in which God gives us the heart of a man who has walked away from the Lord. Now, all this is scriptural. All this is spirit-inspired. It's all uh, the spirit of God who wanted us to have this information. But we get a look into the heart of a man who has walked away from the Lord. I mentioned in my first time we looked at this book that I wonder, I even wonder if Solomon got it right even at the end. I think he went on to e into eternity out of the will of God. Now, he's in heaven now, and I think he's uh, rejoicing with Christ. I think he is, uh, uh, understands it all, recognizes it all, has been forgiven of all his sin, obviously, because Christ, remember the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, his sin was paid for. He has eternal life in Christ. His reward, I'm sure, will be diminished when we get to the millennial kingdom. But uh, here, he writes this book, and he's just writing about the endless cycle of life. Now, we've looked together to see vanity of vanities. All is vanity, saith the preacher. He just said it's empty. It's all empty. And it's, it's uh, amazing to me that that is the cycle that he comes to even at the end. There's one thing you need to do, he said, in the days of youth while you're able, just honor God. He saw that he had wasted an entire life on self-indulgent things. And we took time to look at that. Toward the end of Solomon's life, this letter, he's expressing honestly the imp an emptiness. And really, a life without Christ is an empty life. It can be a full life, but there's a certain amount of barrenness to busyness. You can be very, very busy and yet barren at the same time in your heart and your thoughts and your activities. You know you're doing a lot, but at the end of it, you know, well, what's it for? What have I accomplished? What's this all about? And so Solomon is doing that. In chapters 1 through, uh, chapter 1, 3 through 11, he talks about the endless cycle of life, the endless cycle of life. It just goes round and round and round. One of the passages to me that is just... It just shows the depression of this guy. It's not funny, but it's funny at the same time. Look at chapter 1 and verse 11. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. You know, all the rivers run into the ocean, and it's not filled up. What a depressing thought. You just look, well, it's never going to fill up anyway. You know, that type of business. <laughs> So he's coming up with these, these thoughts. And, and then he, in chapters, uh, chapter 1, he goes through this endless cycle all the way through chapter 1. Chapter 2, he tries to fill his life with things that will make him happy. And certain, at certain times, you, uh, you can be happy in life accomplishing something. But when it's all done, if you're not satisfied in your soul with the things of the Lord... Uh, when, it's, when this temporary thing is all done, you look for another, another, another. It's interesting. There are people, and I, I've met several of them. They have like their one foot here and the other one tapping around here to see what's next. How much fun can I have? I need to do the next thing, the most exciting thing. And they go for excitement after excitement after excitement, and it never, ever satisfies. There's no end to what the world can feed you concerning excitement. Now, the wisest man in the world that ever lived 
became foolish in his own thinking, bordering on insanity. And we'll see that as we move through this book a little bit, bordering on insanity. He, 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 he looked at things in such a negative view. And you, you know, there are Christians that do that. You can make yourself physically ill, uh, bordering on insanity, uh, walking away from the Lord. You know, of course, there are some Christians that take their own lives. They're born again. They know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. What has happened? Somewhere along the line, either there was a, a, a organic problem in their brain or they got so far away from the Lord in such a hopeless state that they took their own life. You can border on insanity walking away from the things of the Lord. And these, you know, this is very serious, obviously, but recognize when you read through Solomon, you see, you see time after time after time, I worked as hard as I could, I gained as much as I could, and I'm going to leave it to a loser. Imagine that. That's what he says. That's what he says. And so we want to uh, recognize there's not an endless cycle to life. It's going to end. There's a time when it's going to stop. And, you know, we won't turn there, but I could have you go to the book of, of Peter, could I not? Second Peter. When Peter says, the scoffers say, those who know not the Lord, those who scoff against the Lord, scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Peter goes on to describe this, that there was a time of judgment then, and there's a time of judgment to come yet. But the Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. But the day of the Lord will come. There will not be an endless cycle of life. There will be a day when God's going to shut it down as we know it. It's in his time, according to his will, and it's his way. Until then, until then, we read in the book of Romans, and I won't have you turn there, the entire earth is groaning. What a statement that is, huh? The creation itself groans, waiting for the day of the Lord to come and when he's going to turn everything. And as we saw back in the book of Zechariah, that will happen when Messiah returns, sets up his millennial kingdom, and water pours out of Jerusalem for the healing of the lands. It's all going to happen but it be in God's time during God's uh, reign on earth. So until then, we live in a world, and it can get monotonous if you take your eyes off the Lord. And Solomon wants us to see something here. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 for a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Regardless of your position in life, your occupation or your age, we're all limited to the amount of time we have. It's not under your control. We're all limited to the amount of time we have and to the amount of opportunities that God gives us. Once you miss, once you miss time in your life, you can never, ever regain it. It's gone forever. It's, it, you've wasted it. That sounds kind of negative, doesn't it? But that's what God's word says. We're in, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Notice, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. 
There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck, pluck up that which is planted. See, he's, he lets us know there's life and death and there's a time to plant and then there's a time when you can't plant anymore because there'll be nothing to pluck up at the end of it. And God, a lot, God gives us this information to let us know each opportunity is a precious thing that God gives us. Now, please understand, that doesn't mean if someone rejects Christ as Savior that they can't later on in life get saved. They can, but in between that, they've wasted a tremendous amount of time. I'll just give you a personal testimony very, very quickly. When I was in my teens, uh, we, we belonged to the Roman Catholic Church as a family. We didn't participate. We didn't do anything. Um, my parents made me go till I was old enough not to want to go anymore. But uh, I would go to church, and just a, within sight of the Roman Catholic Church that I went to was a Baptist church. He was a blind pastor. Um, he used to shovel. I, I couldn't imagine this guy. I'd see him walking downtown with his stick, and he would... Uh, visit people in the hospital, how he know where to go and when to go, I didn't know none of it. But I found out later on in life, he became a friend of mine, a great man of God, a wonderful man of God, has the entire Bible memorized. The entire Bible. I incredible. Ask him any verse, any place, any time, and he'll come to it. He can quote it to you. Well, anyway, uh, I was strangely drawn to that church. I was strangely drawn to that place. And, and uh, I remember wanting to go there, wanting to sit there, wanting to listen. What was this like? What was this all about? Well, I filled my life up with wrongdoing and octane to stop me from doing things. And at that moment of my life, I had made a decision, and I did not, I did not come to the Lord. I didn't, I didn't bother going to that church. Now, please follow through with me. It wasn't until my mid-20s that I became a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of all the years I wasted. I'm thinking of all the time I wasted. What I could have done to serve the Lord. Now, you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Okay, if you're not sure about that, think about the hours in the day you have to read the scriptures. Think about the hours of the day you have to know about the Lord. Think of the hours of the day you have to serve him. Once that's gone, you're not getting that back. Now, that doesn't mean you can't start now and go from here, but we've lost time. And God's just letting us know there's a purpose to every time under heaven. God has a purpose. God wants to accomplish his will to serve him, and he, he continually lets us know the opportunity is there. And you can break that down, if you will, in all of his passages. But Solomon has come to this conclusion, and I presume, it, it's just my thoughts on this at least, that he recognizes he has wasted an entire life. Just wasted it. When he writes this book, he's an old man and he's ready to die. We don't know his exact age, but it appears as if he's ready to die. So God has a time schedule. What time schedule is that? Well, we want to see that as, as this time schedule comes, recognize this, accidental births and accidental deaths do not add up to God's word. There's a time. There's a time. You know, often you hear, well, that baby was an accident. Maybe in your mind, but not in God's mind. He died 
What a waste. He died at such an early age. No, he didn't. They died when God wanted them. They died when it was time. You say, well, you know, they, it was an accident. No, it wasn't. God did it. You mean if I kill myself, then, uh, you know, I, I'm not thwarting God's will? Well, yeah, because God doesn't want you to do that, but God's going to take you. He's going to take you when his perfect timing is due. And I think that Solomon recognizes I had a whole life of time. And within this whole life of time, I wasted it. I wasted it. And that's one of the prayers of my life, that I, I don't want to be looking back and thinking, I wasted huge chunks of time not serving the Lord. I don't know about you. You have to decide what you want to do. It's interesting. There's a divine appointment, and God controls the whole thing. Now, let's look at this quickly. Turn with me to the 113th Psalm. The 113th Psalm. There's a bunch of passages we could look at. I'm just going to look at a couple if we could. The 113th Psalm. Look with me at the ninth passage of the 113th Psalm. That is not the right Psalm. How about Jeremiah chapter 1? <laughs> I wasted time on that. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look, please, with me at verses 4 and 5, please. God has a, an appointment for each and every one of us in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Look at verses 4 and 5. We're familiar with Jeremiah, obviously, from our readings together. But we know that God was allowing Israel time. He's allowing them time. But God said the time is going to end. At one of these points, the time is going to end. So we had 40 years of ministry of Jeremiah, and at the end of that 40 years, or just toward the end of the 40 years, God said it's over, it's time. Nebuchadnezzar's coming. We're in Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at verses 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee, and before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. See, God had a time period in the life of Jeremiah. God had a time period in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. I have been calling you. I have been, uh, if you would, drawing you, Paul. You would not come. Now you will come. And God knocked them off a, apparently off a horse. It was time. And there's a time period. My time period, I... Uh, as I mentioned, I got saved in, in my 20s. There's a time to everything. God has a, a purpose in life that he wants us to serve him and to, to, um, to give him that life which he, has, which he deserves. Remember, you were not bought with corruptible things, silver and gold, tangible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, your whole body, soul, and spirit belongs to him. And the time we have, whatever time that is, it's precious, and God wants us to fulfill it. And we don't want to be looking back saying, I wasted it, I, I wasted it, I wasted uh, my life. And apparently that was Solomon's thought. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8. Ecclesiastes 8, 8. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and 
verse 8. Notice what Solomon says here in 8.8. 8. There is no man that has power over the spirit. I'm reading from a King James Bible. To retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Just to break it down very, very quickly. A man should know his own spirit but he cannot necessarily control the day of his death. We can't control that. When God wants to take you home, that's when he is going to take you home. There's a time coming, again, another appointed time coming to all men everywhere. Now, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we, we see the entire uh, function of that all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. God says, listen, I want to bring you into the promised land right now. They would not. God said, now you cannot. There'll be 40 years of journey, essentially, 40 years in the wilderness. Everyone 20 and under will die, or, or 20 and over will die in the wilderness. Another appointed time. Think of the years it took Moses to come into the position where he would lead the people. It was God's timing. Everything has a time period to it. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. And all we know is today. I got plans tomorrow to get up. I got plans. I get up, I go to bed with the birds and get up before the birds. I don't know how that works out. But uh, I, I got a plan for tomorrow, but in reality if you say to me, would you swear to God you'll be there tomorrow? I have to say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I have today. I have right now. It's a moment-by-moment moment walk with the Lord. And so, a as a person, I recognize that in this time period that God has given me, there's a purpose. And as I read through the New Testament, I see my purpose is to serve him with my whole, again, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, now the following, um, we want, let's look at a couple of passages, please. Uh, Go back with me to Ecclesiastes now, chapter 7 for a moment. Chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let's pick it right up if we can, right in verse 12. He says, picking up in chapter 7 and verse 12, For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth uh, is is that wisdom giveth life to them who have it. Now, wisdom is a defense. If you're wise, we're not talking about necessarily spiritual wisdom, although that should step up another notch. But if you're wise, it's a defense in life. I shouldn't do that because that will get me in trouble. I should do this because this is beneficial to me. And money, money can buy some things, can it? it? Money can buy defense. We see some of these criminals, just, just out, outright murderers. They get this defense attorney that is a well-known big gunslinger defense attorney, and he can reduce their sentence, get them off in some cases, even though, it's, even though they're just plain murder. So money can buy, uh, money is a good defense at some cases, and knowledge is a good defense. 
But God wants us to see that his wisdom is better than all of it. Now, this is coming from a man who was the most intelligent man that ever lived or ever would live. He recognized that. And yet, his wisdom, the wisdom that he was supposed to show forth, was not there. He turned it all over to a life of a lasciviousness, a, a life without restraint, if you would. And so as we're reading through this whole business of Solomon, look at what he says about wisdom. This is wise to do. And then he talks about knowledge. To have a lot of knowledge and, and no wisdom is not wise at all. He's rec we record all the way through this, this entire book, wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, of course, we read in the New Testament, is the possession of a fact. I, I own a fact. I have it. I recognize it. Wisdom is the application of that. And though Solomon was filled with knowledge, he wasn't filled with much wisdom. Why? Because he had turned it over to a lascivious lifestyle. He turned away from the Lord. Remember, he loved many women. He lusted after them, and it says there, the women turned his heart away from the things of the Lord. So let's, let's look at a couple of passages quickly just to remind us of that. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Here's the wisest man in the world. He wrote the book of Proverbs, encouragement, encouragement for men to seek after wisdom, to seek after the Lord. Remember the beginning of uh, the beginning beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He, he, all the way through the book of Proverbs, he's writing this wonderful set of guidelines how to have wisdom, how to, how to honor the Lord. And he rejected that very truth that he had penned for each one to read. We're in Proverbs chapter 19. Look, if you would, please, at verse uh, 21. Proverbs 19, 21. There are many devices in the heart in man's heart, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, it's the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Men think up all kinds of things, but what's, what's a lasting a truth that will not fade away? It's the word of the Lord. It's God's word. It's not what men think or what men devise. It's what God says that matters. Look at chapter 21, if you would, please. 21 and verse 29. 21:29, A wicked man hardeneth his face. That's interesting, isn't it? What happened to Solomon? <laughs> In chapter 21 and 29, a wicked man hardens his face. But as for the upright, he, literally God, directs his way. God will direct the way of the righteous if a, if a righteous man yields to him. But as far as a hardened man... He hardens his face toward any type of wisdom, any type of understanding. Verse 30, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is from the Lord. So God, God's the one that controls all this business. And if you turn away from him, you will turn into a, 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 a problem, a problem life before the Lord. One more passage. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Proverbs, chapter 30. Look at verses 5 and 6. 
when I first read this, I didn't first read it, but when I first looked at this passage, I thought, that is such a great verse. I, I have it on my business cards, or I, ha I used to have it on my business cards. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto those who put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield. Human shields can only stand up so much. I'm interested uh, in um, ballistics because, you know, I, 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 uh, I like to shoot at a gun range. I'm interested in ballistics. And the police are constantly trying to come up with a new way to stop the modern-day ballistics. And, and they're successful until the next round comes out. This, this vest used to stop this gun, but then the enemy come up with a new round, or criminals come up with a new round, and now you can't, it won't stop that round anymore, and they have to come up with something else, and something else, and something else, and that's man's shield. God's shield is far different than that. God's shield will protect unto eternal life, not physical life, eternal life. And that's what we want to do is put our trust in God's shield. God's word is written in stone, is it not? We read this morning in our Sunday school class, Moses threw the stones down. Don't worry about that. God's going to have him rewrite them anyway, you know, so we'll take care of that later on. But recognize that God's word is penned in stone. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22. God's word is penned in stone. Everything he says will happen, everything he wills is going to take place completely and perfectly just as he wills. And our Lord Jesus mentions this in, in the book of the Revelation. Notice uh, chapter 22, verses 16 through 19. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take up the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city and for the things that are written in this book. God's very serious about his word. Solomon was a man of God who was, who was commissioned by God to write the book of Proverbs and then the book of Ecclesiastes, and we have two different aspects of this one man. Turn with me back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. When you're looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to run upon Solomon when he, he begins comparing his life of profitability with that which is to come. I already mentioned, you know, I saved up all this money. It's going to go to someone who's going to give it away. And he talks about all kinds of... Uh, situations in his life where it's a waste of time. It's a wa I wasted time doing this. I wasted time doing that. And as, as he goes through this, he's, he, you can see him. He's just thinking within his own heart and mind that uh, all that these things will be gone, and then I will have nothing. 
But somewhere in there comes a little bit of sensibility, and you'll see that in several different chapters. But the one I want to look at is uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's start right in verse 11. He said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to all of them. Now, although this is a negative statement, recognize sometimes, actually oftentimes, rewards are not to seemingly those who should happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Essentially, life is not fair. It's just not fair. Did you ever say that? I remember when w my kids were young, we would often hear, that's not fair. <laughs> Why? Because you know, as hard as we tried, we wanted to treat them all fairly. But they were different ages, and, and we could let different ones do different things. Oh, that's not fair. He gets to do it. That's not fair. He seemed to get more than me. Oh, that's not fair. In reality, life is just not fair. And they need to learn it at an early age. Life is just not fair. Now, you could compare that with the book of Romans. Well, as a matter of fact, why don't we do that? We just have a minute. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9 for a moment. Romans chapter 9. I'm, I know I'm breaking into the context here, but you know. <clears throat> God, is going to God is going to accomplish his will. He wants to accomplish his will, and he will use us to do that. But I want... Let's look at this for a moment, if you could. In Ecclesiastes 9, look at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Though we think something's wrong. This is not fair. God says, verse 15, For he said unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but God that shows mercy. God is going to accomplish his will. And though we might look at life and say, well, that's not fair. It's perfectly right in God's eyes. God has a plan. And we're not going to thwart that. We're not going to in any way, in any way, um, corrupt that. God has a plan. And if you don't, choose to serve the Lord, or I don't choose to serve the Lord, I don't want to say that's okay with him. Obviously, it's his will that we do. But if you're not going to do it, someone else is going to do it. Why? Because God's will will be perfectly done before him. Now turn back with me to Ecclesiastes 9 for a moment, please. And this is something that strikes at my heart because I'm older now. <clears throat> Solomon lets us know that if you think that you're going to get your reward here on earth, that is uh, the, the, a glorious reward, you're, you're terribly mistaken. And it seems as if if you, if you want to be recognized by the world, you're going to be awfully disappointed. We live in a day of legacy, don't we? I, I, 
I've lived long enough now to see so many presidents, they want to make sure their legacy is intact. It is. You were corrupt then, and everyone thinks you're corrupt now. You know, we live in a day of legacy. They want their legacy to be right. And to a certain extent, I know I have experienced Christians who want the same thing. They seem to want glory on this side of glory. They seek after it. And if you don't give it to them, they'll tell you how much they deserve it. There seems to be Christians that do that. Now, this could be disappointing, could it not? Why? Because men are fickle, aren't they? They forget. They forget things. And Solomon comes up with these two passages. Now, understand, if it were not for the Lord recording Solomon's name in a book that we have that will last forever, would we know who Solomon was? No. I'm sure, um, you know, uh, the founder of our state, uh, the Indians that were in this area, the white men that were in this area during, uh, you know, uh, the days of the pilgrims, I'm, I'm sure many of them walked right in this very space, perhaps. Who are they? Where are they? No one knows. They're gone. If they were believers, they're in glory. If they weren't, they're in hell. That's all there is to it. So many people live an entire life and die without recognition. And Solomon's talking about this for a moment, this want for recognition. Look, if you would, please, in verse 14. He says, there was a a little city and a few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. So this, and by the way, people talk about Archimedes here. I'm not sure about that. I just want, but we'll get into the text anyway. Um, So you get the picture. A big king comes against a little city, and he builds bulwarks, meaning he surrounded the city, uh, and and they they, they, they had besieged the city, essentially. And notice what happened. Now there was found a poor wise man and he by wisdom delivered the city yet no man remembered that poor wise man they forgot him why because people are fickle people are just fickle but it's so interesting to me that the Lord says I will never ever forget your labor of love in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. Why? For your labor is not in vain, the Lord. He's not going to forget that. You could go to the book of Hebrews, couldn't you? He will reward you. Now, in this life, we may not be rewarded. And it just, again, I'm guessing at Solomon, and we'll kind of conclude this the next time we're together. I'm guessing at Solomon, but I'm, I'm thinking he was maybe thinking that no one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember me. Unfortunately, all we remember him as is a good example of a bad example. He turned away from the things of the Lord. You see God blessing him. I mean, when the Shekinah glory came into the temple, when Solomon commissioned the temple, thousands of rams, thousands of bullocks slain, 
The priests could not even go into the temple. It was so filled with the glory of the Lord. How long did it last? Less than a hundred years. And the temple was totally corrupted. Totally corrupted by men. And you have Solomon at the end of his life here, and he was part of the corruption, part of the decay, part of the demise of God's honor there in the nation of Israel. You have Solomon at the end of his life questioning. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that rules among fools. We have a lot of fools crying out today, don't we? Lots of them. Saying all kinds of things. But one, if you find a wise man, he's not going to be screaming out. Pick it up in verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I happen to think chapter 10 and verse 1 belongs in, verse, uh, in chapter 9. But notice verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of perfume to send forth an evil odor. So does a little folly him that is a reputation for wisdom and honor. That ointment that should have been used to, uh, to refresh, used to anoint a, a person, it now turns to a stink. And so men have corrupted all kinds of things. And here, one sinner has destroyed much good. Was Solomon thinking about himself? <laughs> possibly, possibly. But we know the Spirit of God is just letting us know that here's what your mind and heart will be like if you turn away from the Lord and you just look at the things round about you. It's all unfair. Yes, it is. But God said it's not over yet. It's not over. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We look at this book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, and we can become discouraged with it. And yet, Father, it's, it's the Bible. It's the Scriptures. You have told us that we are to see all of the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This book is profitable to us. Even to learn of a, a bad example. Even to learn of someone who had it all and yet turned away from you and, and consumed it all upon the lust of his flesh. So Father, help us. Help us to read as we see. Help us to recognize that Solomon gives strong warning toward the end of his life concerning a life wasted. Father, help us not to look back and say that, but rather to look at it now and press forward to the mark of his high calling. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.